I don't know if you celebrate it or not, but if you do, Merry Christmas. I celebrate Christmas with my family, so today we are staying in our PJs all day, drinking hot cocoa, watching Christmas movies, and just snuggling on the couch and celebrating the gratitude that we have for one another. And I know it sounds super lame and cheesy, but that's my family. (laughs) We are super lame and cheesy. We love each other. We adore spending time with one another. Yes, sometimes we don't get along as well as we would like to. And yes, sometimes we fight over who gets the first cup of hot cocoa or this person has one more marshmallow than me or something like that. But overall, it's pretty chill and we really just enjoy each other's company. So I hope that no matter what holiday you celebrate, that you surround yourself with people who care about you today, that you take time to reflect on simple things and at the very least appreciate yourself and what you are bringing into this world because that is what I think the spirit of the holidays is all about. It's about joy and love and gratitude and so much more than gift giving and shopping and retail therapy. And maybe that's because my love language is quality time, but I also think it's just the truth. So I am still dropping this episode today because I don't want you to be left without an episode if you find yourself with a little bit of free time and still want to tune in to the podcast. This is actually a replay of a podcast that I was a guest on a few months ago that got some amazing feedback. The host of this podcast asked really interesting, dynamic questions. We dove really deep into sales conversations and things that I think will leave you feeling energized and clear about what your next steps are when it comes to sales for the new year. So I hope that this really inspires you today. And if you are busy today or if you don't have time to listen, that's okay. Come back to it when you have time because this is a really powerful and value-packed episode. Enjoy. You're listening to the People Over Profit Podcast. Hi, I'm Justine Beauregard. Since 2008, I've helped scale multiple businesses to seven, eight, and nine figures by focusing on quality connections, not vanity metrics. For decades, we've been taught to believe that business is just a numbers game, but really, it's a relationships game. Gone are the days of prioritizing money over our missions and the people that our businesses are built to support. I created this podcast because I want you to make a difference in the world without feeling like you have to sacrifice your income or your integrity to do it. If you're building a business that puts people first, you belong here. Now, let's spend some quality time together. I had a very interesting pre-recording call with our guest, and our guest is Justine Beauregard. I hope I pronounced that right, Justine. She has some incredible stuff here, and I really wanted to talk to her because According to her biography, and I'm going to just dig in here, Justine has been a sales coach and trainer since 2008. That's a long time. Helping hundreds of small businesses and entrepreneurs increase their income by up to, here we go. Are you ready? Not 30, not 500, 2,300%. Now, I just got to pause here. When you did that with a client, did they send you like roses? Uh, did they buy you a car? What was what was your client's response? Because I know most of my audience and, and anyone in sales or business or anywhere, 
would go crazy for a 200% increase. But what yeah. was their response when you got them that big uh, increase? Well, they paid me a lot of money. <laughs> um, and, you know, I like to put it into context because we can hear these numbers being thrown about all over the place, right? And who knows what 200% of, you know, it's like a watermelon versus a grape kind of thing. So to put it into context, this was a $3,000 business that I transformed into $70,000 monthly recurring revenue. That That's, believe me, most people would be thrilled. Yeah, for sure. And how long did it take you to do that transformation? About three months. Okay. We're not worthy. <laughs> We're not worthy. We're going to pick your brain. We may go back into those strategies because I know everyone watching this wants to know that so we'll we'll dig a little deeper and then then you can i warned i warned you i don't follow formats yeah i love that right. and they had fun doing it which is great that's so <laughs> let's dive into this what first of all what what were some of the things that you changed in this person's business you obviously don't have to give a name but what was the business yeah, so it was in the software sector, and that is my background. So since 2008, I've been sort of creating my own role as a sales and marketing liaison within these companies, because if you know anything about sales and marketing departments, they usually don't speak well to each other, right? Yes. Marketing is always generating the leads for the sales team. Sales team's always saying they're not quality. It's not enough volume. We need yeah. more. Um, and then the marketing team is like, listen, we sent you more than enough leads. If you were better at closing, we'd have no problem, right? So yeah. there's sort of a contention that naturally happens between these two departments. And coming from a background of, I went to university for marketing. I have a degree in marketing. I've worked for many years as a full stack marketer. So I know what it takes to market. And I've also been a sales trainer for a long time too. So bringing those roles together, sort of infusing what happens on the sales process, what happens during those sales conversations, learning what people want to hear, how to position the product, how to talk about it in very specific ways, even overcoming objections early and often in the marketing messaging so that when you get on the conversation, there's really no barrier to entry. It's pretty much, we know what it costs, we know it's a fit, we want it, let's move forward. So it's it's infusing those two departments together and making them speak really well to each other because how I describe marketing versus sales is marketing is just pre-selling one-to-many and sales is obviously the act of selling one-to-one. -one. So you want those things to work together. And that's pretty much all we did with that client. And with most of my clients who, you know, some of them have transitioned from negative profit to, you know, 7,000 to 12,000 monthly recurring revenue in 90 days, I have another client who went from 6,000 to 78,000. And usually these come from messaging, positioning, understanding the core value of the business, and even restructuring the offers to be an easier yes. Because sometimes- Let's talk we, about that. Let's talk yeah. about that. Let me, let me hit the pause button. Because I have a book right here. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, ever read it. It's become- my Bible. Oh yeah, Alex Hormozy. Love him. No, not that one. I had the other one. Uh, Hundred million dollar offers. offers. I'll make mm -hmm. an offer so great, people feel stupid saying no. Yeah. Now, so what do you think makes for that? What are the elements of an offer 
that makes it uh, a great or irresistible offer. I can't get Hermosi on the show. <laughs> you yeah. know, he doesn't respond. <laughs> so I think that, you know, it's very personal. I think for each person who is selling, and this is just how I approach business, is people at the center, right? And so what makes an offer irresistible, and I think what Alex would say is it needs to be an instant yes, a no-brainer offer, right? Something irresistible that carries a lot of value. The problem with that kind of blanket answer is that every person sees value as a subjective concept, right? So we need to determine what feels valuable to us and very similar to, you know, a religion, for example, your beliefs really carry a lot of heavy weight. And when you believe that the offer you're making is a steal, it's exciting to sell, it's easy to say yes to, it's packed with value, there's no reason anybody would say no to it, you can't be outsold. So it's less about what the actual offer is, and it's more about how you think and feel about the offer, because in every sales conversation, one side is outselling the other side. Either a person is outselling you on the fact that they don't have enough money or time or, you know, it's not a priority or whatever, or you are outselling them on all of those excuses and saying, let's just get to work. Let's do the thing that you came on this call to do that you reached out to me for whatever that thing is. I love that. I've ne- That's a great co- quote. In every sales conversation, someone you're either one person is selling the other you're there your prospect is either selling you one person (laughs) can you restate that again it was so brilliantly and succinctly stated I don't want to mangle your words yeah so on every sales conversation one person is outselling the other one love it getting back to offers one of the things one of my early mentors who helped me make a lot of money to this day he influences how I think and how I write copy. Have you ever heard of Gary Halbert? No. Gary Halbert was my copywriting mentor. And Gary said, Gary used to play this game in his seminars. He'd said, he would say, I'm going to open a hamburger stand and you can have a hamburger stand and we're going to compete. I'll give you any competitive advantage you want. What would you pick? I and some people, and some people say better meat topless waitresses, topless servers, uh, best quality buns. And Gary said, you can have all that. You know what I'll pick? A starving crowd. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm wondering what you would say to that, that a great offer, you also have to have it tailored to your starving crowd. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the things that people, you know, the difficulty, again, going back to the subjectivity of value is that Every person, like a starving crowd is great, but what if they're all vegan, right? That's not going to help your hamburger. (laughs) Whoa, you just outsmarted Gary. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, it's thinking about those things and also considering, you know, there's a classic sales training exercise. And if you've ever seen Wolf of Wall Street or any of these types of movies that focus on sales, it's sell me this pen. That's like one of the core exercises. And they'll go around a room and ask every salesperson, sell me this pen, sell me this pen. And inherently, what we will do as a reaction when we're not trained salespeople is we'll take a look at the pen and we'll go, it's a nice pen. You know, it feels good in your hand. 
It writes smoothly. Are you a fan of black ink? Because this pen has black ink. And they just like focus on all the features of the pen, right? And the best salespeople, well, one quick example and, and one way to teach it, which I think is brilliant. And one of the writers from Wolf of Wall Street was doing this in a conference and he referenced this exercise and he said, do you want me to sell you this pen very quickly? And they said, yeah. And he goes, okay, can you write down your phone number on that piece of paper? And the person goes, I don't have a pen. He goes for 20 bucks. You can. Right. And that's the point is it's not just asking the question, but it's qualifying the person or it's giving them a reason to have that qualification. So when you say starving crowd, my mind as a salesperson immediately goes to make sure they're starving for the right thing. So I want a crowd of people who are hungry for hamburgers, right? Or I want a, a crowd of hungry, you know, omnivores or carnivores or something Got that it. really suits them to the business because that's what a lot of people do is they create kind of these blanket value statements and they think, you know, there's, if I cater to a starving crowd, there's got to be enough people in there who like hamburgers, but you might be in the dead center of LA where everybody only wants smoothies and salads and you're going to have a lot of trouble selling those burgers. So you just need to make sure that all those elements are kind of thought through. I used to live in LA. I get, I, I, I totally <laughs> get your point for those who've never lived in Southern California, particularly Los Angeles. Uh, typically you use patchouli instead of deodorant, instead of uh, deodorant and you eat organic or vegan or you're shamed into doing so. <laughs> I just lost all my LA audience, but that's okay. <laughs> well, so we, two, we draw in your ideal crowd. <laughs> that's what I want to do. And I like, I like that your ideas are a little bit contrarian and you do things outside the box which is something that's very interesting to me because you do have a formal education. You've got your degree in marketing, you said. What do yeah. you have, a master's or a PhD? Just a bachelor's degree. Bachelor's, okay. Well, that's a hell of a lot of ability with most people would say they got a master's or an MBA and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But it also seems to me you understand structure because you worked corporate, is that correct? Yeah. You understand organization, and yet you know how to think outside the box. Hmm. So where did you get this ability to think outside the box? Did you have a mentor or uh, someone you had as a model, if if I could? Or was it just always a talent that you've had? I'm sure it's a blend. You know, it's one of those things where it's sort of describing when you first realized you liked pizza. It's like, I'm not really sure. I just love it. You know, like I had it, someone offered it to me. I'm sure it was good somewhere. I had it better somewhere else. Like you kind of have these experiences throughout your life. And then at the same time, you know, I'm Italian. So I'm kind of born to love pizza. <laughs> so just as an example, you know, with, with these type of skills and I definitely do a lot of independent learning. I'm a perpetual student. I love to read and consume podcasts and I repurpose time in really creative ways. So whoa, 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 pause, 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 pause. Yeah. We have a, I'm sure we have a significant portion of people, including me. I'm high creative. But this is a this is a teaching that's worth serious scratch. You yeah. repurpose time in creative ways. There's no way I'm letting you go by without unpacking that. Yeah. I mean, it's actually pretty simple. So when I think about how I'm using time, 
I think about where are my opportunities to overlap two things that work together. So I'm not a big fan of multitasking. If you've ever read the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller, um, multitasking yes. is a myth. And I believe that. Yes. I believe yes. it's very difficult to be on your phone playing a game and watching TV and talking to your partner Absolutely. and cooking dinner. Um, but I do believe that, you know, if you're, for instance, you're prioritizing learning and fitness. For me, when I walk on the treadmill or when I go outside for a walk or go to the gym, instead of listening to music, I'm listening to a podcast or an audiobook, something that's going to help me continue to learn and also get my physical activity in. I also do um, content recording in the shower, which is something that's really funny and interesting. Back up. Yeah. Content recording in the shower. Yes. How so do, you do that without the sound being drowned. First of all, that's I love it. That's whacked, and we like <laughs> whacked. <laughs> I I I even describe myself as batshit crazy. You're not that yeah. far, but that's whack. Content creating in the shower, no, probably makes it unique that people want to see that. Uh, I don't. What do you mean? Well, it's not visual. It's not a oh. video. Um. So <laughs> we're not going to take it to that extreme, but. I find that I get my best ideas in two places, in the shower and in the car. Mm -hmm. So I decided years ago, the best way to do that is just to honor that part of my creative process. And when I'm in the shower, I take my phone and I put it on a shelf that's right next to the shower and I put it on voice to type and I just record my stream of consciousness while I'm in the shower and then I send that to my assistant and she cleans it up and makes that into social media posts or, you know, emails. Sometimes I'll go back and clean things up or, you know, I'll just put together like a list of thoughts or ideas, like create a piece of content about, you know, repurposing time. And it will just like pop into my brain and I'll add it to that, you know, voice to type note. And what I have, app are you using for voice to type? So I have Google Keep. I have a Pixel, so I'm a big fan of the Android platform, and uh -huh. I use Google Keep on my phone, um, which has a voice-to-type option, so I just kind of have that, and then I also use a voice recorder, depending on kind of how creative I'm feeling, because sometimes uh -huh. what will happen is, like, the voice-to-type will go off after so much time of not being used, so if yes. I'm not, like, flowing with an idea, I'll use the recorder, and then I'll have it transcribed after, so depends on you know how I'm feeling that day but I, most of my content is not typed it's actually voice to typed I I love how you think let's uh let's dive in a minute and ask some of your questions um so why don't people get paid well for their expertise I think a lot of people don't appreciate their expertise enough right so there are, I love the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, and he talks about four kind of characterizations of skills. So there's your zone of incompetence, the things that you're just not great at, your zone of competence, things you can do, but maybe shouldn't, your zone of excellence, things you're very good at, but it's not really bringing you a ton of joy. You're just naturally kind of gifted in those areas. And then your zone of genius, which is really where everything kind of comes together, where you're joyful, it's easy, it flows, it works for you. And I think a lot of people live in their zone of excellence. They don't actually explore 
that next level of that zone of genius. And I was guilty of this for a lot of years. So looking at reading that book, I was looking at all the things I did really well. And I think marketing is my zone of excellence. I'm trained in it. I've learned it. I did it for 15 years, you know, all the things, but it didn't bring me as much joy. Like the lead generation is kind of a slog sometimes It's not my favorite thing to just be like writing emails and doing all these things. And as I've worked with clients over the years, a lot of my clients would say, I love the work you've done, but I want to understand how you think about the work that you do. Because what you're creating, I want to replicate that or find ways to understand the foundational kind of thoughts and patterns and frameworks that exist within your way of thinking so that I can recreate that. And that's how I got into coaching and training was really my clients asking me, can I pick your brain? Can I ask you how you think and how things work? And then I really started to understand how much I loved educating people, how much I loved breaking things down, breaking them apart, getting inside of them, kind of diving deeper, understanding how things worked, all of that. But even on top of that, Only in the past few years have I really understood that sales specifically was my zone of genius. Like thinking about all over the years, people have said, if you just did sales full-time, you would make a killing. And I always said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sell all the time. And it was the connection of the training and the coaching and the sales side where I can listen to someone talk about what they do and I can sell their offer better than them in five minutes. Like it's just an inherent joyful skill. I love listening to people who are great at what they do and just hate selling or get hung up on selling. And I listen to them and I talk to them and I sell them back their offer on a training or a demo. And they go, oh my God, I want to buy the crap out of my offer. Like for the first (laughs) time ever. And I go, yes, that's it. Like that's my joy. And I, I think the reason why people don't get paid well for their expertise is because they never make that connection of, oh my God, I want to buy the crap out of what I sell. And usually it's because they're either not living in their zone of genius or they just haven't mastered sales skills yet. Often I think, and I want your feedback on this because this is something I learned as uh, one of my joys, one of my mastery skill sets is neuro-linguistic programming. We don't need to unpack it, but it's got a lot to do with modeling talent. And one of the things I've noticed is that people are extraordinarily good at what they do and joyful at what they do, don't even understand the structure of their talent. If you said, well, how do you do this? They'll say, I don't know. It just comes naturally to me. Yeah. So how would you be able to, to assist one of your clients in finding that joy? Yeah. I'm an expert in reverse engineering success. So where people will say things like, And this is what I do. And I don't know how to do it, or I don't know how to teach someone else how to do it. I just know that I do it really well. Usually that's because they don't have that other side of what I have, which is the teaching and the coaching and the training and the mentorship. Like they're just not used to those skills. They're not used to being challenged and asked how to break it down. But what's interesting is I will hear what they're doing. I will see what they're doing. And I can say, well, it sounds like you're just doing A, B, C, D, E. And they usually go, yeah, that's pretty much it, right? Or 
you know, yes, and there's a deeper layer. And then we continue to kind of work it and massage it until it gets to the place where they go, that's it. And usually that's where your IP lives, right? So you've got this beautiful intellectual property of how you've kind of created the things you create or how you've built the things you've built. And a lot of people, because we're, you know, a lot of people are in the services space that I support. So probably 80% of my clients are in the services industry. So they don't have to apply for patents, for instance, like they're not doing a lot of work where they have to break down those foundational pillars or any of that intellectual property. And unless they're being asked or being coached or kind of moved in that direction, why would they ever consider that? So it's really just the invitation. Let's explore this. Let's dive deeper. And with the right person who has the right skill set or just an openness to learn it yourself, I think everybody can kind of break down what they do in that way. What unsells people during a sales conversation? So many things. (laughs) I think a lot of people are unsold because the person selling isn't sold, right? So again, going back to that, you know, you don't want to be outsold by the person on the other side of the conversation. There's an over-communication of value. There's an under-communication of value. There's like all these things that you bring to the table or lack bringing to the table that can cause unselling to happen. So I see a lot of people who will get on a sales conversation and they're just totally disorganized. And I think a lot of it comes down to process, right? Is understanding how to move someone from point A to point D. And that's not about having a scripted sales process. That's about understanding what you need from the person that you're speaking with to get the yes. And so that pathway can look different, just like you can take 75 different routes from Boston to LA and still get there in pretty much the same amount of time, depending on which interstate you take, right? But some roads will be backed up with traffic and other roads will have construction and one will have an accident and one will get you pulled over. Like there's all these different obstacles along the way. And what people do when they get on sales calls a lot, I notice, is they'll kind of jump in with no understanding of what they need to gather from the other person. And so they tackle it also with overstating like, okay, so I'm selling you this. And then that person says no. And they're like, okay, then this, then this, then this, right. Or they inherently outsell their downsells or upsells. So you can be talking to someone like there's, you know, let's just say someone is a life coach, right. And they're trying to sell a six month life coaching package. And the person that they're talking to only really needs a couple of sessions. So instead of being open to a couple of sessions, they basically spend the entire discovery call or consultation talking to that person about the only way you're going to fix your problems is if we work together for six months. There's no alternative. There's nothing else. And they go really hard on this point. And then the person says, well, I can't afford six months right now. And I really only have these things to work on. And they go, oh, sure. Okay. So like, what do you want? And then the person will go, I don't know, like four sessions sold, like I'll put together something. And it's, then that person will ghost them and they'll go, well, I don't understand. At the end of the conversation, they said sold four sessions. And that's because that person gets off the call and goes, 
well, I know I can only afford four sessions, but they said that I wasn't going to be totally like right. where I want to be it. without the six months. And so a lot of that stuff happens, not when you're on the call, but after the call and how Got you it. set that up for success. Got it. We are out of time. You've been a fantastic guest. Now I know based on the gold that you have laid out here, people are going to want to stay in the conversation with you, Justine. How did they do that? Yeah. So I actually have a podcast as well. It's called People Over Profit. So every Monday I go live with new episodes and we talk about really kind of deeper on one specific topic. We'll go and dive deep into like hiring the right talent or retaining customers longer term or how to convert from sales conversations, things like that. So they can listen to that show or they can go to my website, justinebeauregard.com and learn about other offers or get in touch with me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all the places. If you found this episode helpful, feel free to tag me with your thoughts and feedback at Justine Beauregard Coach on Instagram or Facebook. And if you have ideas for future episodes, I'd love to hear them. Just send an email to justine at justinebeauregard.com. And if you haven't yet, don't forget to click that subscribe button and rate and review the show. Your feedback means a lot to me and allows us to keep learning and growing together. I'll see you next week.